All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Timeless Wealth with Durkin Dietz. My name is Jalal Madani, and I have here Sean Durkin and Amy Dietz Graham. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about this. This episode is dedicated to talking about the future landscape of businesses. Um, basically, by the future, we mean post-COVID. And I think what a little bit of inspiration as to why we'd like to talk about uh, uh, such a topic is because. Uh, Mr. Stephen Polos, who's the former governor of the Bank of Canada, was giving a talk at, um, uh, at a leadership conference uh, a few weeks back, and he mentioned a few things that businesses and societies and, and individuals are going to have to brace for uh, in, the, in the next coming uh, a few years. So we're going to right away kick it off uh, to talk about the matter, but just to give it a quick, a quick background and just a brief summary as to how the, um, what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to talk about the matters that are probably keeping business owners and executives awake at night. Um, and then we're going to talk about the issues that Mr. Pola spoke about and then possibly some solutions either from a bank or investment perspective. And, <clears throat> and then we're just going to wrap it up with some final thoughts. So I'll, uh, uh, Amy, um, I'll let you uh, uh, kick off the episode here. Give us some issues that you think businesses are going to be going through in the next uh, few few or so years. Yeah, at this uh, leadership event that we attended, it was a, a room full of, of business owners. And the energy of the room, I have to say, was you could feel, you know, the, the how tired they were, you know. Running a business is never an easy feat, um, but going through COVID, with all the, you know, restrictions and, and implementing health, you know, items and routines for employees, supply chain issues with inflation, you know, uh, just getting employers with sick leave and things like that. They're tired. Like business owners are really tired and really just one issue after another. And so you could tell in the energy in the room, they were really looking for some optimism, like what, where's, where's the silver lining? Are we coming out of this, this COVID cloud and, and, and can we get back to normal? Um, and unfortunately, I don't know if uh, the message was so optimistic, but I think if you start to dig below it, and that's what we'll do today is there is a lot to be optimistic about. And there are a lot of things that you can do, but there are a lot of challenges that we're going to face. And so I think talking about those challenges today will be really interesting to kind of dig into those little pieces that they're all trying to navigate through in this particular moment. Yeah. And, I, and by we, you mean business owners alone, like business and business owners alone, or even as individuals as well? Even as individuals, like if we think about the landscape, of, you know, of ourselves and, you know, our, our day-to-day roles were kind of turned upside down and where we were working and, and how we were working and people being off sick. It, it, it is a real challenge for, for individuals as well as business owners. Yeah. <clears throat> So I just wanted to quickly read something that Stephen, something that really popped out to me. Um, he says in his book, uh, which is The Next Age of Un- Uncertainty, um, basically titled How the World Can Adapt to a Riskier Future. But one quote that really stood out to me was, um, and he says, navigating the post-pandemic economy would be difficult enough in normal circumstances. A lot of the, a lot of the business leaders or even country leaders now have never been through an, a pandemic. Right. So all of this is really new to them. And and the reactions that 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 they had to take, they had to come up with them almost on the spot. But uh, he goes on to continue. uh, But the five tectonic forces will come together to create even more economic volatility in the future, 
posing extreme uncertainty for individuals and for companies long after the pandemic is behind us. Uh, employers and employees alike will look to governments to protect them from rising economic and financial risk. And I think, I think what he's trying to say here is not only that post-COVID or that COVID really affected uh, businesses and, and relations between businesses and employees or even the financial and economic landscape in general, but the, the forces that he's going to talk about, which we'll go through uh, quickly one by one, they're going to add even more turmoil. They're going to make the, the process or the few, the coming few years even more harder and more difficult. Um, so Sean, uh, how about you talk to us about some, uh, talk to us some about the uh, tectonic forces that he, uh, 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 that he speaks about. No, thanks, Jalan. I think, I think first off, you know, when you look at what, you know, Mr. Polotz is touching on, I mean, the, the concept of economic peril and crisis at some future point in time is a, a timeless line of argument for many, many people. It goes back to when I was a child. And there's always going to be on the horizon issues that we're going to have to contend with. There's going to be dilemmas we're going to have to work our way through, and it's never going to end. But what I would argue is that uh, humans as a species are very innovative. Um, we're very nimble, believe it or not, relative to, for instance, a wolf pack, or we would be living like wolves. And we tend to figure it's things out. It's a good out, analogy. You know, like, <laughs> simply true, right? Well, you know, don't bet against human ingenuity. Yep. We tend to figure stuff out. We, we are a very innovative species, and we will figure things out. Now, well, sometimes if, we'll, even if we journey back to the pandemic, mm -hmm. did we think we were going to have vaccines as quickly as we did? Like, we were talking when it first started, like, we're not going to have a vaccine for 10, 15 years. Like, that was the discussion. But very quickly, we figured things out. So I think, again, there's a lot of optimism as we go through the risks. There is a lot of things to be optimistic about, but we need to be realistic with the risks ahead of us. Even considering a massive shift from folks working in an office environment to working at an in-home environment mm -hmm. and the challenges there within, when you look back on it, for most uh, for most businesses, it was a relatively, I put heavy quotations around, it was a relatively seamless transition that worked and in many cases made businesses that much more efficient which again produce, it produces another set of issues in terms of how do you manage your, your, let's say your intellectual space, where do you work from, how do you work and so forth. But you know, when, when Polotz uh, touches on aging population, well that's been an issue for years. You know, and, and you know, fortunately, you know, North America, which has by the way, a, a less of an aging issue than for instance Europe or especially Japan, you know, we can look to Japan and what's gone on there, and we can look to Europe, where Europe's probably about 10 to 15 years ahead of us on an age curve as well, and say, okay, what have they done to manage their labor force and so forth against an aging population? You know, technological progress, that's never going away, and I would, I would view that as a positive. You know, the more technologically innovative we become, the more productive we become, and the more efficient our economy becomes. And in rising inequality, that's a time eternal issue too. It has not, it has been, a, it's been an issue since my parents were children. You know, it was yeah. an issue in World War II. Just a comment about rising inequality. Um, I actually never thought about rising inequality as a, as a tectonic force for, for the economy. But the way Mr. Polos actually explains it is, it, 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 I'd say it's quite genius. Basically his argument, or something long to do with his argument, is that if the, if the gap between the people who can afford and the people who cannot afford keeps getting greater and greater, 
then that poses a huge risk for businesses in the future because businesses rely on consumer spending and consumers buying their products or services. If you have less people that can afford your products and services, that's not a good that's not a good uh, sign for you, right? So that rising inequality could actually be, uh, and what, by inequality we mean economic inequality, can actually pose a great danger for many businesses in the future. Because if you're going to rely on a small amount of people who can afford your products and services, you're in trouble, mm-hmm. right? And again, again, Jalal, that's not a new concept. I mean, Henry Ford, famously, when he designed the uh, the Model T, he famously yeah. said, "I want to produce a car that the people who work with me can afford." In other yeah. words, you know, at the time when there were, you know, Bugattis were being sold and so, you know, Mercedes-Benz were being sold and so forth, it was only a very top echelon that could afford cars. And, and Henry Ford famously created the Model T Ford, which was everybody's car. And same with Volkswagen, for instance, which was everybody's car in, in Europe. And, and so, right. you know, at the end of the day, you, you know, you, do, you, you need income disparity because that creates competition and it incents people to work harder, to earn more, to have a better life. But when it becomes too dichotomous, then you basically have, it creates social unrest, it disrupts the political spectrum, and to your point, long term is not great for business. Yep. And then I think we have the last one. Uh, or sorry, the second last two are is growing debt. So basically, debt is heavily growing, and climate change, and that businesses really need to start taking climate change more seriously because it poses a huge risk um, uh, against the development and the growth of their uh, uh, of their businesses. Now, in light of in light of the tectonic forces that Mr. Polas speaks about, and the factors that are going to hinder growth and business growth. Uh, I wanted to also talk about what can what can businesses do to to, to feather that. Uh, what what can they do? What kind of services can they look for? What kind of specialties can they you know will they have to look towards so that they can actually not only efficiently grow but have have a decent sized profit, for example, for them to keep going through their production and through their development. So I think there's a lot of different areas and this is where companies need to be innovative and creative. And that's the beauty of a business, right? Is they're always innovating and creating. And and that's why, again, when we go back to human ingenuity, I think we will solve a lot of these issues. But these are things we need to think about. How do you retain employees is a big struggle for for business owners right now. Because you have the aging population coming out of COVID, you're seeing some people finally deciding to say, okay, we're going to retire now. And there's not enough people to take on these other roles. So how you, how do you retain talent? So getting really creative around your health and benefits plan, salary, uh, work-life balance. There's a whole lot of different things that need to be done that businesses are now going through to figure out how do you keep those employees. Yeah, like speaking on to, um, uh, on to employee retention, um uh, RBC, RBC the other day, a couple of days ago, was saying that uh, they're going to invest about $200 million into, into their workforce to make sure that basically um, that they have employees working, right? And I, I think 
We, we often, we've helped clients, you know, coming up with different ideas around their, you may have, most client, you know, companies have your regular health and dental plans, right? That's a yeah. pretty standard offering. Yeah. Well, with a younger generation, they're probably not on a bunch of prescriptions and things like that. So yeah. you may be coming up with something different, like a health spending account, where it gives them the flexibility to spend it on maybe a gym membership, things like that. So there's reviewing those types of old legacy plans to maybe make it more relevant for the newer age employee. Yeah. Another thing that, you know, employees are facing is a lot of them want to be homeowners. How are they going to tackle that in this new environment? So can employers be creative, you know, to make introductions to banks or educating them on how they need to be saving to make these different goals? Sean and I have often gone into businesses and presented how do you properly financial plan and, and budget and those types of things are becoming really powerful for employees. It's a real added benefit that, that can be, again, hosted by the employer. That's a really interesting one, uh, possibly helping your employees or in some way aiding them in terms of for them in terms of them becoming um, homeowners because home ownership is is a huge one especially for you know for the millennial generation and for a generation that thinks that they'll never become homeowners with these rising prices and and um, and the cost because uh, you also have to worry about the cost of living and you know to, to afford to actually save up mm-hmm. you know, for a down payment well in inflation we're going through a rising rate interest rate environment right and the whole yeah. idea is that that's been the role of the Bank of Canada is to keep that inflation number around the 2% target. Yeah. And why that's so important, because that's another factor that businesses right now, they're trying to manage through a bunch of uncertainty. Yeah. So when the Bank of Canada can control that back to that 2%, you remove that variable from a business owner's planning situation. And so that's what they're working on right now, again, to yeah. alleviate that unknown and change. Uh, supply chain is another one, right? Our clients are often saying, oh, Things aren't showing up and, you know, my vendor's not there. But what has happened is business owners are saying, well, maybe instead of having one vendor, I need to make sure I diversify so I have options available to me in the event that something happens. Right. I mean, but then that also, I agree. I think having um, having an array of suppliers would, would probably help. It's just that the, the suppliers sometimes at the end, if you don't buy from them uh, a specific amount per year or volume per year, mm-hmm. um, they, they just won't even sell to you, not even once. And, and so these are the kinds of issues that businesses are facing, right? Like... I know one company in the United States that, um, that, that decided to close shop even though they have over $100 million in revenue just because the owner was like, I have no time nor the morale nor the patience to deal with these shortages, to deal with this, um, uh, with this havoc that you know, running a business is now, right? And then as a business owner, like you all, you, you're worried about, it's, it's a two-pronged worry because from one spot, you're worried about your suppliers and your vendors and on, on the other side, you're also worried about, you know, and your clients and on the other side, you have your employees and your, you know, your business um, operations to, you know, to worry about, right? Well, and then that, it just that's, creates that's, a layer of, layers of problems. Sorry, sorry. You, you know, uh, it is. You and I think that's the opportunity for, for a group like ours and, and what we do here yeah. uh, as a firm. So we often spend time talking to business owners that, you know, they have a lot on their shoulders, a lot, a lot of decisions. Yeah. And that's where, you know, when you're reading the book, they talk about having a risk manager. Yeah. Well, you know, not every company can go out and hire a risk manager, but you can rely on your partners from your investment side, making sure you build in enough cash flow buffers 
for the uncertainty that we're going to go through, yeah. but also your banking partners. Uh, we work with a fantastic group here, the National Client Group. They're fantastic in terms of strategy for businesses. So again, business owners don't have to be left to do it themselves. Come to us and we can help you work through these different scenarios and these different planning issues yeah. to help navigate these unknowns and uncertainties. Yeah. So to like basically like outsource, um, uh, for example, risk managers, business developers, um, uh, business optimizers, right? Like Absolutely. finding finding another firm or finding outside help or third party help and aid, for example, in terms of making sure that your your supply uh, chain is you know is operational. Like you're getting you're getting the products that you're ordering from your suppliers in a timely manner. Well, and it's funny too because in our industry we we get a lot of visibility over a whole bunch of different businesses. So oftentimes yeah. we connect people with different companies or different vendors, or we've seen another scenario or a different solution um, where clients can come to us and they can kind of piggyback off of those ideas. Yeah, I think I think long gone are the days where you know the business owners. You know they're 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 gonna have to they they want to try to do everything right like they want to be their own risk managers they want to be their own marketers they want this they want that I think not only has society in general gotten so complex but running a business has gotten so complex because of technological progress I'd probably say that you just can't be your own marketer like you can't you need to actually hire somebody who knows way who probably knows way more than you um, in marketing right and the the different platforms for marketing and for example. Uh, somebody who would be more technologically versed, right, in order to run your marketing initiatives, for instance. And the same goes for risk management. The same goes for, you know, for a financial plan or even a business planner for your business. Things have gotten so complex that I think you need to look into hiring mm-hmm. specialists, if not if, if not actually hiring them, at least outsourcing them and, and contracting them out to actually do the work, right? Like, for example, marketing agencies are a are, are prime example, excellent example. Marketing agencies, a lot of times, they will work with companies to do their marketing initiatives and do their marketing planograms and everything. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's great that outside uh, that outside out of the box thinking for that firm. I, I think it does great. So as financial planners, for example, and wealth managers, like what what do you bring forth to uh, uh, what can you bring forth to these business owners in terms of perhaps um, helping them through inflation or, or maybe hedge, hedging inflation or hedging risk or anything? Can you guys shed any light on that? Yeah, I think there's there's, there's three core areas that we want to focus on, and, and okay. I kind of call, call it the client efficiency uh, initiative because. You need to take action. You can't be passive in this environment. Obviously, the, the you know the landscape has changed dramatically in the last three years yeah. in terms of the cost of your inputs, the ability to source inputs, the importance of automation in your production or, or your service facilities, and so forth. So, what we recommend or what we suggest is you want to focus on three areas. The first two fall under the category broad category of costs matter. And you want to make sure you're not leaking unnecessarily or unnecessarily in, in some areas. So we want to take a look at, for instance, your, your banking, day-to-day banking. What are you paying for and what are you getting? And is there a way we can improve that, get you more, more cost-effectively? Secondly, and this could be even more important, especially with businesses and, and owners that need to invest within their businesses to make them more productive, because one way you can reduce the impact of employee inflation in terms of wage inflation is to be more automated in your processes, but that takes investment up front, mm-hmm. is we look at your capital structure. And we ask the question, 
what are your terms? What are your conditions? What are the costs of those terms and conditions? And can we get more for less? Mm-hmm. So that would fall under the cost matter yeah. perspective. And then the third aspect would be, you know, you got to make sure that you're properly structured on the home front to be successful, you know, when you're basically going out in the world and succeeding. And so we want to basically make sure that our clients know what they own and why they own it and that they're probably diversified and they're probably engaging in the environment as they should be so that they don't have to worry about that. They can focus on what they need to do from a business perspective. So that that basically... If I understand, like if I understand in very simple terms, optimizing their portfolio, optimizing their uh, the structure, not only of their portfolio but even of their business as well. Like yeah. like you said, costs matter. Yeah, and and getting real value out, right? So mm-hmm. talking to your banking partners and talking to your investment strategists to really understand the strategies behind it, because oftentimes it's not just here's a blanket solution. It's yeah, let's model out these different scenarios or these different worries, and we can build a path forward yeah like i think you mentioned the the national client group and i think that would really help like on a business front um for example hedging risk and you know if, uh interest rates a whole bunch of stuff like even if you have you know if you're if a business off if a business uses some type of material or commodities i think you know i think having protection from the rising costs of those um uh, would be crucial and then you know wealth advisors and financial planners such as yourselves i think it helps to create um a cushion or a buffer where if rates were to go up or some more um you know there's like that um there's that protection that added uh, uh added protection added protection from any inevitable i don't want to say fall but any inevitable maybe like correction or just uh uh, uh, obstacle. Mm-hmm. You know the bottom. The bottom line, though, is is you is you you want to be proactive. You want to have yeah. an element of proactivity, proactivity over within your structure. Yeah. And and I think you know where where I find outside experts helping anybody, and even in our case when we work with our coaches or work with yourself, Jalal. Yeah. Um. You know, there's a enforced proactivity that's imposed upon us, and I like that. And that's what we can do with our clients is on things that day to day they may not be thinking about that at some point they need to. We can proactively say, okay, let's consider this now. Take that off their plate and look at it on their behalf and come back with a with a solution for them. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Um, that was uh, that was really informative. Uh, just to recap, so the uh, in case anyone's still wondering, the the tectonic forces that Polos was talking about. Actually, there was one one more thing I wanted to say about that. Uh, but the five forces were aging population, uh, technological progress, rising inequality, growing debt, and climate change. And I think uh, I I think one of the one of the points that uh, that Mr. Pola speaks about, and I kind of agree with him, is that although, yes, Sean, like you did say that these forces or these factors that will affect the future, although they have been factors, for, you know, for as long as, the, as any money has been being, you know, um, transacted, that being said, I think what is unique about our time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is that each one of them has been aggravated and they're all coming in together all at the same time, mm-hmm. right? That's like valid. one. Sure. One thing he speaks about is the baby boomer generation and that like the boomer generation, I love how he explained it. He explained it like a wave, right? Like it was like a, like a blob that was pushing everything in out of its way. Just like when you throw a rock in, in a river or in still water, you know how the wave just mm-hmm. goes across, right? So I think that the boomer generation and every, all the decisions that they've made, it just ripples through 
um, it rippled through the 20th century and now, you know, now through the 21st century, whether it was when they were taking money um, uh, to borrow and their productivity was, was up and now that they're, a lot of them are either retired or at least approaching uh, uh, the retirement year. So I think that's what is unique, uh, what Mr. Cole is saying, that's what's unique. But, but, about even then, but even then, that's not unique. I mean, Dr. David K. Foote came out with Boom Bust Echo back when I was in university in the early 90s, talked about the same thing. About boom the, Bust Echo? Yeah, which okay. is the, you know, the massive impact of the boomer generation on, for instance, interest rates in the 1970s and the 1980s and the demand for money yeah. for all these parents to house their three and four kids that they had. It was a, there was a major baby boom, right? That's why they call them baby boomers. Yeah. But the, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, I think what you mentioned about the confluence of all these things coming together and what, what appears to be a very short time, it's been around for a long time. The aging population doesn't happen overnight. But it feels like it's coming together all at once, and it's very acute, it's very shrill. Um, it is causing anxiety. And, and again, being proactive and dealing with it within your own microspace yeah. is the proper way to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I definitely would argue that you know businesses and business leaders definitely, even individuals, even as an individual, it, there's more of a need now to actually reach out to specialists, right? Whether financial planning specialists, investment specialists, risk management specialists, and almost anything that has to do with running and operating a business. I think we live in a time where there's a greater need for that. Um, well, there's only so many ever. hours in the day. And again, yeah. going back to that event, you could tell people were tired. And so it's don't feel like you have to carry it all on your shoulders. Yeah. You can use the resources around you to help. Because again, we've seen these scenarios through different lenses for, through many, many people, there might be an easy solution that's already happened that you simple call it to look at yeah. might be just sitting there for you. I think that was well said. Well, I think without further ado, then I think that uh, uh, concludes our episode for today. Thanks everyone for tuning in and thanks Sean and Amy for, uh, for your time and for your uh, expertise on the matter. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you.